Uh, so as I said, we're in 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is um, in large part a book about correction. Uh, the Corinthians had some problems, and the Apostle Paul was writing this letter in part to address some of those problems. Uh, so he's writing about correction. It's also a book about maturing, because he's, he's not just trying to correct them, he's trying to help them to grow. And so as we are digging in this morning, uh, just keep those things in mind that, that this is a large portion of the book. This is part of what Pastor Reuben has spoken about the past uh, couple weeks, uh, and it's, uh, it's a continual process. Uh, my message today is in 1 Corinthians 4, and I have titled it, Time to Grow Up. Uh, so if you're ready to grow up, you're in the right place. If you're not, well, strap in anyways. Uh, so time to grow up. So what I'm going to do is just start by going through and reading through the verses, read through the passage, and then we're going to come back and pick it apart a little bit and talk a little bit more about what the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in this letter. Uh, so beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and I will disclose the purposes of the heart, or, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the, the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers." For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? So that's really straightforward, really simple. Like, nobody's intimidated by that at all, right? 
Paul is a little bit intense. I don't know if, if you picked up on that or not. There's a lot of sarcasm. Uh, there is some very strong language. And he's a, he can come off as a little bit intense, but there's a good reason why he comes off as a little bit intense, and that is because he takes his role seriously. And Paul mentions actually four different roles uh, that he has and that I believe any believer can grow into that I want to talk about today. So these are your four roles to grow into. Now, you may identify that you are already in one of these roles. My challenge to you this morning is, okay, what's the next step? How can you grow further? And as a quick plug, one way to grow further is in community. Our community groups started just this week. So if you want to be part of a small group, sometimes it's a Bible study, sometimes it's a book study, sometimes it's a game night, uh, there's information available on the church website. I would highly encourage you to sign up for a small group so that you can grow into these new roles. So these roles are the role of a servant that he discusses in the first verse of Corinthians 4, the role of a steward, which he discusses in verses 1 through 8, the role of an apostle in verses 9 through 13, and the role of a father in verses 14 through 21. So I want to take some time this morning and unpack what each of those different roles mean and how we can grow into those roles as believers. So we're going to start with servants. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, it's just one verse on here because this is like an entry-level position. Uh, This is the role of servant, uh, and the Greek word here and I, if, if you know Greek, then you're going to know I have terrible pronunciation, but I'm betting none of you know Greek. Huperetes, uh, uh, which means servant. Uh, and it actually has this connotation of an under rower or a subordinate rower, uh, which actually is in the context of somebody like on a, a galley ship. So if you think back to ancient times, a lot of the time when there was no wind to um, get the sails moving, you would have a bunch of rowers rowing the galley ship, right? And so... This is a servant who is working in conjunction with others for the good of all. This is not just somebody doing their own thing. This is a servant who works together with others. What's really interesting is that the the Greek word servant uh, that Paul uses here is not what's most commonly used in the New Testament. That word is actually doulos, uh, which means a slave, a bondman, a man of servile condition. So this is what what you see most of the time, and actually Paul introduces himself in the book of Romans that way. He says, Paul, a servant, doulos, of Christ Jesus, or a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So it's interesting to me that that Paul, even though he has used this word that is often translated as slave to describe himself uh, in other parts of scripture, he does not choose to use that word for servant this time. And I believe that's because doulos is where all believers begin. You have you know, you've, you've made a statement of faith. You say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been baptized. You're doulos. You are a servant of Christ. That initial, like, bond servant kind of position. And that's not a bad thing because Christ is the best master ever. So it's not a bad thing at all. However, this is what we would call somebody that has potential, which can be a really good and healthy word when you're in your 20s, right? Anybody, you know, you start in your career and somebody says, man, you've got a lot of potential. That feels pretty good, right? You could really be somewhere in a few years. All right. In your 40s, if you're told you have potential, that's not as good anymore, right? If you still don't have anything but potential when you have been working at things for a number of years, well, maybe you need to change what you're doing. So so when you are in this place of initially... uh, 
joining the body of Christ and in that doulos bond servant position, you have, you have lots of potential, which is a really good and healthy thing. And I want to make a quick distinction real quick between what, what you can think of as a spiritual age and a physical age. So you may be 50 years old and you accepted Christ last week. You're a baby in Christ and that's okay and we love that and we welcome you and we want to help you grow. Don't expect that your physical age and spiritual age will always match because especially if you came to the Lord later in life, you're going to have a little bit of time growing up and that's okay. But the point is that we grow up, right? So we want to get beyond a place of potential because potential minus growth equals immaturity, which is the problem that Paul is trying to address with the Corinthian church. He wants them to move beyond potential and to really start doing something. And so, so if you're going to move into that under rower kind of servant place, you have to learn to row with others. You have to live in, work in, serve in community with others. And that can be done in any number of ways. As I mentioned earlier, small groups are a great place to start. Just serving on a Sunday morning is a great place to start. You know, we have people that meet you at the door. We have people that serve you coffee. Now, these are not people who are exclusively under rowers. I would not prescribe what anybody's position is in Christ, but these are great places to begin serving. A lot of these people are also teaching and preaching and sharing the gospel in other ways. But this is what we want to do is learn to row with others. That's the first place to grow is as this servant, this under rower, and learning to work in community with others, to serve with alongside others. The next word is steward, and this is where Paul digs into things a little bit more because he's definitely beyond that initial servant phase himself. Uh, in some ways, he is a steward. Um, and a steward, it says, uh, is somebody that... Uh, is a steward of the mysteries of God, which I, I don't know about you guys. I'm a big movie fan, a big comic book fan. The mis stewards of the mysteries of God. That sounds like the next Marvel movie to me, right? I mean, they, they just are releasing new movies all the time. That sounds like something we ought to explore in a movie, stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, and it says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So this word stewards, let's unpack a little bit. Uh, steward is the Greek word okonomos, and it can mean the manager of a household or of household affairs. It can mean the manager of a farm or an estate, or even the superintendent of the city's finances or a treasurer. So this is a role that um, is scalable. You, you could say that a lot of pastors are in this role, right? Because this is a place where you have a servant who is leading other servants. And this can be any number of things. But the point is that this is somebody who is a servant of Christ, but they have been put in a position of authority by Christ to lead others. Um, now, when I think of this, this word steward, I'm a big nerd again, and, and I can't help but think of Lord of the Rings. Anybody remember the steward from Lord of the Rings? One person remembers the steward. Awesome, awesome. I thought Pastor Jim would be with me on that one, but okay, he's nodding his head. Uh, his name is Denethor, and he is the steward of Gondor. Now, Denethor, let's be honest, he's a terrible, terrible steward, but there is an incredible visual of the role of a steward in Lord of the Rings. And it's right here. This is Denethor in the little chair next to the big throne. That is the role of a steward, the guy in the little chair next to the big throne. Now, if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, you know that the king has not been there for some time. And J.R.R. Tolkien, who, who wrote Lord of the Rings, was a believer. And there is a ton of Christian allegory in Lord of the Rings. This is actually an image of waiting for Christ's return. So a steward has been put in the little chair, given a little bit of authority, waiting for the return of the king. 
waiting for the return of Christ. So that is the role of a good steward is to, to wait, to steward, and to take care of things until the king returns. The king goes here, right? So that's what I want you to think of a steward. A steward's in that little chair next to the throne waiting and working towards the return of the king. And again, uh, this is a really good visual, but Denethor is a really poor example. Uh, if you remember in the movie, he actually ends up getting himself killed uh, as he is in the midst of his foolishness, and he is not stewarding things well. So I want to talk a little bit about what a good steward looks like, because we have this really cool visual, but we don't ha- yet see what a good steward looks like. And Jesus actually describes the role of a steward uh, when he's explaining one of his parables to the disciples. Now, uh, fittingly enough, this is a parable about the end times, and he's talking about being ready. So that steward needs to be ready. Uh, so Jesus is explaining this parable about being ready for his return. And this is found in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 42 is the explanation. Uh, Back in verse 34, 35 is the actual parable, if you want to read that in context. Uh, But what I want to focus on here is this role of steward. And the Lord Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? This word manager is that same Greek word, okonomos. It's just translated as manager here rather than steward. Uh, And so in this context uh, of the parable, Jesus is talking about servants waiting for the return of the master, and this is the manager, the steward, over all of those servants. Now, immediately we see that part of the role of that steward is to be faithful and wise. He's supposed to be faithful to his master, and he's supposed to use wisdom in maintaining the master's estate and in leading the other servants. He's also supposed to give the other servants their portion at the proper time. Now, in this specific instance, he's describing food because he's relating it to this parable, but the the portion that a steward can can give to those under their leadership can be any number of things. I think first and foremost, it is the gospel of Christ, right? That is what the portion given to the other servants is, is the truth of the gospel, the understanding of the gospel. That's the, the first role of the steward. But it can also look like opportunities to serve. It can, depending upon the situation, look like financial opportunities. It can look like any number of things. But primarily, it's the gospel. So a good steward honors his master and provides for others. That's the first role of the steward. Now, if we continue in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, Blessed is that servant, or that steward, uh, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So this is a very biblical principle. We see it elsewhere in Scripture where uh, if, if you're faithful with a little, God will let you be faithful with more. And so that's what we're seeing here with the steward. Not only uh, is, is he faithful in this position, but if he is faithful, the master comes and says, all right, I'm going to put you over everything that I have. So this is part of being a steward is as you're faithful, the Lord will give you more responsibility which is why we see the steward description uh, being so scalable from managing a house all the way up to essentially managing a city. Uh, so this is, this is the kind of role that, that you can grow into. There, there is a warning that comes with this role too, however. In verse 45 of Luke 12, it says, If that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will 
will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Don't take stewardship lightly. Anytime that scripture's talking about beatings, you should pay attention, right? It means don't take this lightly. As I was about to step on the platform, Michael says, hey, don't mess up. I told him, man, that's super encouraging, thank you. But, but in, in fairness, in reality, I have a burden, even though I'm not the pastor in this situation, I, I am presenting the gospel to you and I have a burden to make sure that I do not take it lightly. That is the role of anyone in a position of stewardship. And so we, we have to understand that the master will judge your faithfulness. He will judge your faithfulness and he will either judge you as being faithful or not. There is no middle ground. He said that there will be beatings. You either get the beating or you don't, right? So Paul understands this. Back in 1 Corinthians 4, he begins to describe the expectations of him in this role of steward. He says, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court because he knows none of their opinions matter. He is only judged by the Lord. In fact, I do not even judge myself, which is really smart on his part because I don't know about you guys, but when I judge myself, I'm either way too hard on myself or I'm way too easy on myself, right? So Paul says, I'm not even going to judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself. There's nothing I know of that I've done wrong, but I'm not thereby acquitted. Just because you are ignorant of wrongdoing does not make you acquitted of it, does not make you innocent of it. It is the Lord who judges me. And this, to me, is, is a comfort, actually, because I don't have to worry about myself. You know, I, I do the best I can. I pray, I seek God, and I, I do what I believe he is calling me to do. And then he's the one that judges me. I don't have to judge myself. You don't have to judge me. I don't have to judge you. God judges all of us, right? And that's, that's where it starts, is that God is the judge. But the question is, judged in what? right? And this can be any number of things, but for uh, Paul here, he begins in verse 2. He said, it's the faithful stewardship of the mysteries of God. He will be judged in faithfully stewarding the mysteries of God. So what are the mysteries of God? Well, I believe as we continue going through the passage here, we see what those mysteries are, uh, that uh, the mysteries will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring light bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. What's a mystery? God's going to bring light to it. He will also disclose the purposes of the heart, what the mysteries that are within the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So if, if these are mysteries that God unveils, what is the role of a steward in stewarding the mysteries of God? I believe this is where we come back again to the gospel because the gospel is what reveals our hearts to, to, to us, right? And and even as we continue on in verse 6 here, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos, who uh, would be another position of a steward. Apollos is another steward. For your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Anytime Scripture is talking about what is written, it's talking about itself. Let's just keep in mind, anything, anytime Scripture says what is written, it's referring to itself. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So this is faithful stewardship in teaching the gospel. Because the gospel is what will reveal your heart. It will reveal your heart to yourself. It will reveal your heart to God. And God ultimately will judge all of that. 
The gospel is what helps bring revelation to us so that we can change our behavior. So that we can live as the servants and stewards of God. Continuing in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, verse 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Because he's pointing out here that anything good we have is God's doing and not our own. Sometimes we do get a little puffed up thinking that, you know, I did this or I did that or I'm really cool because I can do this thing. But at the end of the day, you are God's creation. He created you as his son or as his daughter. He gifted you and equipped you and he called you. Anything that you have, anything good in your life is not your doing. Sure, God may have guided you in that process, but he was the one who guided you. He was the one that led you. It's God's doing, not our own. So don't get prideful and puffed up. Understand that he has placed you there and positioned you there. Verse 8, already you have all you want. He's beginning to talk to that puffed up crowd now. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. And the Corinthians aren't really rich rulers here, right? They would like to think they are. That's what they're acting like. They're very arrogant and prideful. But this is a sarcastic rebuke. I don't know if uh, any parents out there have ever used sarcasm with your kids. I feel like, I don't know, my, my kids are really little. They're not quite two yet, so we're not there. Um, I feel like this is, this is a dangerous proposition because I, I feel like People hear sarcasm selectively, but let me make it really clear. This is a sarcastic rebuke that Paul is using because the Corinthians have become very, very prideful. And faithful stewardship, in part, is correcting those in your care, which is not always comfortable, and sometimes you seem like the bad guy. Any parents ever feel like the bad guy in correcting your children? Yeah, right? But you know you're not the bad guy, right? No, you don't need another bag of candy. You just ate all that. You're going to throw up if you eat more, right? Oh, so mean. No, you seem like the bad guy, but you know you're not. But the, the thing is that we have to come to a place where we recognize that there is a standard to which we are leading others. There's a standard to which stewards are leading others, and that is the gospel. And so a pastor sometimes seems like the bad guy when he holds up the standard of the gospel and you in your own heart realize you are not meeting that standard. Now, one of the things that I love about Pastor Jim is that he, unless, unless it's a very unique circumstance, he's not getting in your face saying, hey, you're doing this, you're doing that, and you need to change. First, he's going to let you see the standard of the gospel. And, and he does this so wonderfully on Sunday morning, and he lets God work in your heart, Right? Now, if you are in a position where you're not receiving that and somebody needs to take action, Pastor Jim will be one of the first to speak to you, and I love that about him as well. But first, we have to understand that this is the standard of the gospel that we are being held up to. And it's it's not something that Pastor Jim sets or I set or anyone else. This is the word of God that has been passed down from generation to generation for over 2,000 years, and it is almost a, Pastor Jim, help me out, it's 99 point something percent accurate from the original text. It's it's insane how accurate this is. There's a less than 1% difference from all translations of the gospel. Thank you, Pastor Jim. This is incredible for a text as old as the gospel. 
And so we know that it is accurate. We know this is not people making up things like, oh, this sounds good. This is what God spoke to people millennia ago. And it is the standard that has remained true for thousands of years and will continue to remain true for thousands of years, regardless of whether or not anyone holds themselves up to it. And that is our challenge, is that we have to hold ourselves up to it, and we have to submit ourselves to those stewards that hold us up to it, that that bring that and say, hey, this is the mirror. This is what you should look like. Because it's a poor steward that lets others self-destruct. It would be really poor of me if I saw you having a real problem and I didn't say anything. And there are things that we can all agree upon, right? Like if you're drinking too much or if you're cheating on your spouse or things like that. If, if I'm in a relationship with you and I see you doing that and I don't say anything, I am a really terrible friend, aren't I? It's the same, same thing with a steward. If a steward sees someone in their care having self-destructive behavior, they've got to point it out. Otherwise, they're doing a terrible job. And this is what Paul is trying to save the Corinthians from. He is trying to save them from their own destruction because they have become incredibly prideful. They have put themselves in a position where they are sinning. And he is trying to help save them from their own destruction. So if you are ready to grow into a steward, remember that this means to lead wisely and faithfully. Sometimes it may seem like you're the bad guy, but it's not those that follow you who judge you. It's the one who leads you. It's, it's God who judges you. So that's the role of a steward. Servants, if you want to grow, grow into that role of a servant, learn to row with others. Stewards, lead wisely and faithfully. So we're going to move on to apostles here in verse 9. Uh, in verse 9, he writes, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. Now this word apostle is the Greek word apostolos, and it means a delegate or a messenger, one sent forth with orders. Typically, it's of the 12 apostles of Christ, uh, but other eminent Christian teachers as well, including Paul, uh, including others like Silas or Barnabas. Uh, it is not something that you see as very common, though. Uh, this is uh, a group of leaders with authority over the global church. If you look scripturally, and we, we see this from the book of Acts in the days of the early church, the apostles had authority over all churches. Because we, we are not just City Church and uh, uh, Savannah Christian or whatever you want to get into. We are one church globally. We all serve Christ. An apostle is someone who speaks to and has authority over all of that. Uh, and that's not something that you see a whole lot today. However, I would say that we do still have people in the position of an apostle today. Um, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to put that responsibility on anyone. Uh, it, is, it is a weighty responsibility. And most people who I believe would fit the description of apostle probably would not take that title for themselves. Uh, but I believe we do see people in this kind of apostle position today uh, because we see people that are recognized by Christian leaders as authorities, right? So um, this is perhaps someone who uh, has started a church. Maybe it's a large church. Maybe it's a small church. But they have been given permission by other Christian leaders to speak into and have authority over their life. Uh, you see this a lot of the time with uh, large church organizations uh, or denominations. Oftentimes there are individuals that kind of rise to the top and they have authority to speak over a number of churches, right? And so I, I do think we see people in this kind of apostle position today, but it is not something that you just say, oh, I think I'm going to go be an apostle someday. This is a very specific calling. Um, and 
honestly not one that most people want because as we get into this, um, we, we see that they are a spectacle to the world, uh, but this is not like they're a pop star spectacle to the world. This is very, very different um, because uh, Paul uses this language, last of all, like men sentenced to death. So back in, in Roman times, if a conquering Roman general was coming back from a successful campaign, he would have kind of this parade going through as he returns to his home city, and he has with him his armies, he has with him all the plunder that he has, and last of all are the captives, the captives that he conquered during this reign, people who are going to be sent to their death, sometimes in the Colosseum or, or perhaps another manner, but the, these are captives at the end of a military procession. Most people don't want to find themselves in that position, but this is what Paul is saying it's like to be an apostle. They have been made a spectacle, and they have been made like captives at the end of a military procession. And he gets into this in verse 10. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Now, I want to, to remind you here, he is, is using some sarcastic language here, but he's also very serious in his description of what he himself has experienced. So he says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. The Corinthians aren't actually wise in Christ. Paul is certainly regarded by some of them as a fool, though, even though we know he is not. We are weak, but you are strong. Uh, you are upheld in honor, but we in disrepute. Uh, we have seen multiple times throughout Scripture where Paul is mocked. Paul is held in disrepute. He is someone who is considered weak. Um, and we see elsewhere in Scripture, he, he writes about that he has a thorn in the flesh, something that has that's hindered him, and he asked God to take it away, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So as an apostle, he has been perceived as a fool, he has been perceived as weak, he has been uh, held in disrepute. He also says, to the present hour we hunger and thirst, and this is real because he did go hungry, he did go thirsty, and we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. He's not making this up. This is not him getting uh, sarcastic or not him expanding upon things. This is what his life was really like, and we labor working with our own hands. Now, this is really interesting that he would point out laboring with your own hands because that's not necessarily something that, that we look down on, right? There's, there's good, honest work in working with your hands. However, in the Greek culture, working with your hands meant that you were one of the poor people. You were one of the uneducated people. And so that is why he brings this up because he's telling the Corinthians, I am everything that you despise. I labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless when persecuted, we endure. So not only is he in this position where he is seen as weak and he is despised and buffeted and homeless, but when people spit on him, he says, bless you. That's the role of an apostle. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Basically, he is saying we are the garbage of the world. Can you imagine being perceived that way? This is heavy. It's, it is, I, I thought, let's bring a little bit of levity here, but, but really, in reality, this is not something that most people desire, right? Like, who wants to be called the refuse of the world? Who wants to say, yeah, I'm the dump? Really? So this is why being an apostle is something that you are called to. It's not something that you say, I think I'm going to be an apostle someday. That sounds good. This is not a position uh, that is going to have a, a lot of respect necessarily, not, not from the world, certainly. Even those who he is leading as an apostle don't have a lot of respect for Paul. However, they still recognize and submit to his authority. 
Um, so I would say for an apostle, as we look at this description, lay down your life. If you want to grow into that place of an apostle, you're going to have to lay down your life. But I also feel like lay down your life has almost become Christianese, right? It's, it's almost lost its meaning. So I'm going to add just one word there. Lay down your whole life, everything you have. Look at that description again. If you feel like God is calling you to that place of apostle, make sure that you're prepared because you have to say none of it matters. Only what God has told me to do matters. Nothing else matters. And that's a hard thing to do. Now, I want to, to say here that I do believe, again, that these are four roles that, that we can all grow into. And I also believe that these roles are incremental. You don't skip one. So it's not like you start as a steward and skip the servant step. And I don't believe you skip the apostle step either. However, um, I will say that most of us will never find ourselves in the office of apostle. But I do believe that you can have the heart of an apostle. So you may never find yourself in the office of apostle, but you can absolutely have the heart of one to say, okay, God, take it all. I'm going to choose you and you alone. Nothing else matters. I lay down all of my life, my whole life. And I believe that the heart of an apostle is necessary before moving into the role of a father. Now, this might seem a little funny because father is such a common word. Um, but I believe as we get into this description of father here, you'll see that, that there's a very good reason that Paul first describes himself as an apostle and then as a father, because there's a very clear distinction. And I believe that you need to first, before you have that role of a father, uh, to say, I'm ready to lay everything down. Uh, so he begins talking about being a father in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this, this Greek word father is uh, pater. This is where we get our word patriarch. Uh, and, and let me just say real quickly, while many in our culture are speaking against what is a patriarch? A good patriarch is not something you would speak against, right? What is being spoken against are men who have been evil, honestly, right? Men who have been foolish or who have been evil, and a good patriarch, we are about to see what that looks like. So, so please uh, keep that in mind. Now, this is, of course, a generator or male ancestor. So anybody who biologically is a father could be described this way. Metaphorically, one who stands in a father's place and looks after another in a paternal way. This is how we would describe the Apostle Paul as he is describing his relationship with the Corinthians. And of course, God the Father. This is actually the exact same Greek word that is used to describe God the Father, and it is used 419 times in the New Testament. More than any other word that we have looked at today, this has been used hundreds of times more in the entirety of the New Testament than either of the words for servant, the word for steward, or the word for apostle. And over half of those times, something like 250 times, are specifically talking about God the Father. Now, I don't believe that lessens its impact. I believe it actually shows us that this is the role that is most needed. Why would God talk about it in the Bible so much if it were not the most important role that we have seen this morning. And we know that fathers have a special responsibility. 
This is why we see God as God the Father, right? Because he has a special responsibility. Now, those who are, are ladies in the room, those who are looking to be mothers or are mothers, um, this does not mean that, that this type of role is not for you, and I will get to that in a little bit. But I do want to acknowledge first that, that God is called Father for a reason. And if you do a little bit of research just within the modern church, um, you can see the huge, huge impact that a father has. Uh, in, in the church today, uh, if you have somebody growing up in the church, if their father is not attending church as an adult, the likelihood that they will attend church is insignificant. Like, they, they probably won't attend church at all. Even if the mother is in church with her children, the likelihood that they will attend church as adults is still tiny in comparison. However, if the father is present and actively engaged in church with them, the likelihood that that child will be in church as an adult is much, much higher. We also see this in the prison system. The numbers of fatherless men in the prison system is astounding, right? That's not to say they didn't have good mothers. There are lots of people that are in prison, that are in church, that are in all walks of life, that have really good mothers. And mothers, really good mothers, are needed. But fathers, it's time to step up because we are needed. We have lots of servants. We have some stewards. We have a few apostles. And we have very few fathers. And again, I'm not talking about just someone who is biologically a father. I'm talking about individuals who choose to be intimately involved in the maturing of others. And so I would say, ladies, this is where you can get your definition as well. If you're an individual who chooses to be intimately involved in the maturing of others. This is what I believe is the role of a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. So Paul describes this role in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. He's saying, act like me. Now, this is really intimidating because if you're not living right, you don't want somebody to act like you. They're going to mess up their life. I feel this weight as a father of young children. Like, already, my son's walking around in my shoes. It's really cute. But he's walking in my shoes more than just physically. He's going to follow where I lead. And this is true for anyone in a place of spiritual authority. And this is, this is one of the wild things to me about this role of spiritual father is that God will sometimes let us be in a position physically before we're ready for it spiritually. And this is an opportunity for us to grow as fathers and as mothers. And it is a role for anyone with a heart to help others grow, but I believe it's a special responsibility for those who are mature. And uh, again, maturity can, can look like a number of things. I'm not just talking about physical age. I'm talking about a long and healthy relationship with Christ. Uh, in the book of Titus, chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, it says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. In Job chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding 
in length of days. And the simple fact is that the more life you have lived, the more wisdom you can have. And I say can have, just because you are up there in age does not necessarily mean that you have wisdom. There are people in their 80s that are living like fools. We've seen this in our world. So look for someone that has had that long life with Christ, and you will find someone with wisdom. And I believe that uh, you know, we, we as a society have a problem with our elders because we don't respect them. You know, we belittle them. We put them aside. Grandpa, you're over it. Okay, boomer. I hate that phrase. It is so disrespectful. It is so unkind, and it completely disregards an entire generation of people who know way more than anyone younger than them. We must renew our respect for those who are older because they've lived a little bit more life. They have more experience, especially in the church when we see someone who has lived a long life with Christ. Man, we need to be at their feet. Tell me what you did. Tell me what not to do, right? Because they have lived life. Maybe they didn't live it perfectly, but I bet they could give you a little bit of wisdom. I believe that this is where we will find our missing fathers. If you are in a place where you need a father, maybe your biological father is not invested in your life at all. Maybe, maybe he's not a godly man. Maybe the same is true of your, your mother. You can find someone in God's church that will help you grow, that will be that spiritual father or spiritual mother that you need. Start looking for the ones with gray hair. They're the ones that we need to respect, that we need to listen to, and just be silent because they have a lot to tell us. And I got to tell you, I can't father a 30-year-old, right? I'm in my 30s myself. I can't father a 30-year-old. My kids, again, they're, they're not quite two yet. Sure, I've got a lot more life experience than they do. But you know, most of you guys here, I'm either younger than you or not a whole lot older. You need to find yourself a father. You need to find yourself someone who is mature in the Lord and learn from them and gain wisdom. Paul wraps things up here at the end of 1 Corinthians 4, saying, Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? This is the role of a father. A father says, you know what? I'm not just about talk, but I have authority but they aren't going to push it in your face either. A father says, I will come to you with gentleness. But if you're not going to receive it gently, well, I still will come. I'll still bring correction. But if we will submit to the fathers that God provides, the correction will be gentle. So speaking for myself and speaking for, for a number of us in the room, we are not spiritual fathers, Right? But we need to look for those spiritual fathers. So the position of our heart needs to be submission to those spiritual fathers that God has put in our lives. Because we want to receive the correction that they have because your life will be so much better. It's not just about doing what they say. It's about living the life that God has for you. He has life to the full, as it says in John 10.10. 10. And that's what we want to receive. That's what we want to live. And one of the best ways to live that life is to listen to the wisdom of the aged. So our four roles to grow into our servants and learning how to row with others. A steward, leading wisely and faithfully. An apostle, laying down your whole life. And a father who loves others to maturity.
That is the role of a father. Not just I'm bringing correction, but I'm going to love you to maturity. Paul says, I can come with gentleness. I can love you if you're willing to receive it. So this is the role of a father. I'd like to point out that none of these roles happen in solitude. You know, the very first one that we see, that position of an under rower, there are other rowers, right? There are other people that you're supposed to serve alongside. And so you need to get in community. I'm going to plug small groups again once more, and uh, this seems like an appropriate time to plug my own small group. I lead a men's group. We meet virtually over the lunch hour on Fridays, and we are beginning a book called Fathered by God. It's a study uh, that we're going to take our time going through, and it talks about different stages in a man's life and how God can father you in those stages, how you can look for older spiritual fathers in your life who will help you through those stages of life because none of our fathers were perfect, right? All of our fathers were human and sinful, even the best father on the planet, right? And so God still has work to do in us. And so if you'd like to to join my group, please speak to me after service, but there's lots of other groups. Uh, And sorry, ladies, it's a men's group, so, you know, you have to go find the ladies' group. But there are other groups, as I said earlier, you can can sign up on the citychurch.life website, get in community, then find somebody who will help you grow into these roles, because it is not something that you can do by yourself. So I want to invite you this morning, if you are ready to grow into that next role, or even if, if you don't have a relationship with God and you're saying, you know what, I don't know God, I don't know Jesus, but I think I'm ready to. I'm ready to step into that initial bondservant position. He is the best master you will ever have. And he will lead you faithfully and in love. And if you say, I do know Jesus, but I'm ready to take it to the next level, either one of those circumstances, I invite you to pray with someone this morning. We have our prayer and ministry team that's going to be at the back, and if you would like to pray with them about about growing in Christ, or if you would like to have prayer for illness in your body or any other situations that you're facing in life, I know that our prayer and ministry team would love to pray with you. So I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer, give you opportunity to go pray, and I would tell you guys, after that, go change your world. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the privilege of being here this morning. Thank you for how you continue to grow us up. Thank you that you have people in our lives that will help to grow us up. Help us to seek out those spiritual fathers and mothers. Help me to find those people in my life that will help me to grow closer to you. Lord Jesus, we give everything to you. We lay everything at your feet. Thank you for being with us today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Go change your world.